2: Thursday morning, the 14th of October. Good morning. With much debate and discussion from now till 11am, this is Michael Reid on LMFM. The European Commission has responded to the UK's concerns about the Northern Ireland Protocol,
3: proposing what it says are practical solutions. Designed to help Northern Ireland deal with the consequences of Brexit while further benefiting from the Protocol on Ireland Northern Ireland.
2: Vice President Maros Sefcovic says Europe wants to facilitate the UK
3: but. Our number one priority remains to ensure that the hard earned gains of the Good Friday Belfast Agreement and talking about peace and stability are protected while avoiding a hard border on the island of Ireland and maintaining the integrity of the EU single market.
2: This is no small step for the European Union.
3: We have completely turned our rules upside down and inside out to find a solid solution to an outstanding challenge. That involves the EU changing its own rules on medicines.
2: And it's not just getting medicine from Britain to Northern Ireland.
3: Imagine you are a Northern Irish uh, business importing products of animal origin like yoghurt, cheese or chickens uh, from uh, Great Britain. More than 80% of the identity and physical checks previously required will now be removed.
2: The proposals announced yesterday by the European Commission work for Ireland. I do believe that which Sefcovic's package of proposals, that he uh, has the
4: backing of the Commission now in presenting to the British government and to all the stakeholders in Northern Ireland, represent the obvious way forward uh, and the obvious way out of th- these issues. Uh, where there's a will, there's a way. Uh, and certainly he has demonstrated and the Commission have demonstrated imagination, uh, innovation, and also a listening ear uh, to the people who matter, the people in Northern Ireland who are underground dealing with these issues.
2: That's the Taoiseach uh, responding uh, to those proposals from the Commission. Let's talk to Karen Coleman, editor with Europarl Radio. Good morning to you, Karen. Thanks, as always, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. As uh, the Taoiseach says, this has the full support of the Commission, it has the full support of uh, the Irish government, uh, but the story doesn't end there, of course.
5: No, and as uh, your clips show there, the Commission seems to have come out with uh, a, a lot of what they call practical solutions to try and appease... The British government's concern over the Northern Ireland Protocol. Now um, they are going to engage in presumably several weeks of negotiations with the Brexit Minister David Frost and his team in London um, to try and see whether they can reach agreement or not. The smoke signals from the UK at the moment don't seem to be too good. Um, you know, there's still an anticipation that the British may trigger Article 16 um, of the Northern Ireland Protocol. But certainly yesterday, um, when Shevkovich made those announcements of what they called their practical solutions, they did seem to go a long way, Michael, to mm. try to be as innovative as possible and try to ease the problems that, of course, we've heard Um, from people in Northern Ireland over, you know, many, many months now about the problems they had getting goods from Britain into Northern Ireland. And and the Commission are now proposing, and and some of them you have played, there are a range of solutions to try and see if they can make it easier for people in Northern Ireland to get goods in from Britain and vice versa.
2: Yeah, and it's as if they've been given everything that they were looking for, or at least 80% of everything that they were looking for, which uh, would be a good deal by anyone's uh, standards uh, when it comes uh, to negotiating with 27 other countries, as is uh, the case with the Northern Ireland Protocol. Uh, So a, a good deal for the UK. Uh, But the problem is that it seems they don't really want to do a a deal and they're calling other things into question. And this is uh, where the European Court of Justice comes in and the issues that uh, the British government has been raising about it having oversight of how all of uh, this works. Maris Sefcovic was asked about this yesterday uh, and he he said he, he didn't want to get into that just yet. But that could be the sticking point, I take it.
5: Well, this has emerged as, uh, in more recent times, as a what seems for the British now a very clear red line um, that they do not want the European Court of Justice to have oversight of the EU regulations that would apply to Northern Ireland because of the protocol. I mean, it, it was cited in their, what they called our command paper of last July, where they set out all the issues that they had problems with, with the Northern Ireland protocol. The, the European Court of Justice issue is mentioned, but it certainly doesn't come across in that command paper as a major issue. But it has certainly loomed large um, when it comes to statements being made by the likes of Lord David Frost, the UK's Brexit uh, minister, the main person negotiating with the EU and Shevkovic on their side, as an issue now that seems to be a major red line. Um, The Commission is still sticking with the line, though, that they will not remove the ECJ, uh, that it's critical to the implementation of the rules in Northern Ireland because it remains part and in most part of the single market. Um, But, you know, they have come down, climbed down significantly on other issues that we thought were also red lines. I mean, you know, as Shevkovich has said there, you played the clip. Uh, They've bent over backwards. And at times, he said yesterday, they went beyond current EU laws. And when it came to their changes on medicines to enable the free flow of medicines to come from Britain into Northern Ireland, they changed their own rules on those. So I suppose the British perspective is, maybe, can they push it as far as they can? They seem to have got a lot of concessions Hmm. now from the EU, and and presumably they'll push as far as they can to try and see, can they remove the ECJ from having that oversight?
2: Hmm. Uh, Well, they come up with a a different reason then for (laughs) not wanting to agree to it. I mean, it seems as though they just don't want to do a deal.
5: Yeah, that does seem to be the case. I mean, it does seem to be the case that they want to tear up the Northern Ireland Protocol. Mm. And you had Dominic Cummings, that very, you know, Svengali-like creature from the UK suggesting that that was their view, or you know, the, the goal all along anyway. Um, I mean, you would have to think that that may be what they want or else that they will push the Commission, the EU, as far as they can to prove that they can get as much as they can get from the EU. And it will be another battle of wills. Mm. Um, And I suppose the question is, you know, will the EU bend as possible to UK demands, no matter how unrealistic um, and belligerent they may be, in order to try and make sure there is no... battle up in Northern Ireland in terms of the Good Friday Agreement, that there is no fear of peace being disturbed in Northern Ireland and all the gains that have been made since the Good Friday Agreement was brokered, and that the EU ultimately will try and do its best not to destabilise the situation in Northern Ireland. But I suppose at some stage Mm. the Commission and the 27 member states, it's not just the Commission, the Commission come up with the proposals, but the 27 member states have to agree to all of those. And apparently it was very difficult to get a full agreement on all of these concessions, not least from the French. And they're having their own battles with the UK. You'll have heard about this in terms of fishing rights. Mm. And so, you know, it's going to be difficult to try and make sure the EU27, the governments, all come on board with any further calls from the UK, especially if they insist on the removal of ECJ oversight you know, maybe it's possible, Michael, despite what the Commission is saying, maybe they'll find an imaginative way to get around maybe the, the the full ECJ oversight. Maybe there'll be other ways that can be found to provide rules on oversights of how the protocol is implemented in Northern Ireland without the shadow of the ECJ being as strong as it is potentially over it at the moment.
2: Mm, so long as there's a system of oversight. It could be uh, accepted as an independent system of oversight by the British because they don't see the ECJ in that role, I take it.
5: Maybe, but also remember as well yesterday, Shevkovich when he was coming out with uh, their concessions, um some of these uh, moves now that they've made, such as those you've uh, um, mentioned, I mean, mm. a, a whopping 80% reduction of checks yeah. on, 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 on those critical goods, including the sausages, the British mm. sausages of, of British <laughs> origin now, will be able to move under these rules, if they all agree to it, into Northern Ireland. But it's also dependent on the UK implementing, you know, they clear labels, a system of monitoring Mm. every link of the supply chain, as they've been calling it. The UK has to ensure permanent border control posts are put up and and they're up and running, that they supply the data that the EU checks and regulations people will need. Mm. So it's not just that these things are going to be given and the British don't do anything. I mean, they will also have to be able to provide those systems Mm. and make sure they're up and running as well. And there's a role for
2: Stormont as well.
5: The role for Stormont, exactly. So this was the other thing, enhanced participation now of Northern Ireland authorities and stakeholders in the implementation of the protocol. I don't think they'll have any legalistic oversight as far as I know, but certainly that there will be more involvement of the Northern Ireland Assembly and Mm. the EU-UK Parliamentary Partnership Assembly, that they will be maybe talking to one another more, which you would think is a fair... You know, give um because this, after all, is about how it 's going to affect the people of Northern Ireland. You would think that they should have certainly more say in terms of giving their own opinions um, and I mean, I think the concessions on What seemed to have been, must have been a major, major headache for people, for example, uh, you know, suppliers of of produce like perishable goods such as fruit and veg coming from Britain into Northern Ireland. We were hearing stories, no doubt you and your listeners heard stories of how difficult it was for for people, you know, driving Mm -hmm. those trucks over and all this that they had to have. Now they only have to have one clear health cert for all of the goods no matter who they're going to in Northern Ireland, for the supermarkets or wherever else, Mm. instead of checks and everything so that at least the products wouldn't be rotting and rotten by the time they arrive in the supermarket shelves of Northern Ireland. So
2: So the products will be on the shelves and the focus and the priority from the European perspective will be on the Good Friday Agreement and the peace process. Uh, Has the British government got the same focus?
5: Well, if you listen to the rhetoric uh, coming from the likes of David Frost and certain sources in in Downing Street, from an Irish perspective, I suppose, you would have to wonder about that um, because they keep appearing to change the goalposts you know in the past it was stuff about the movement of goods free mm. movement of goods from GB into Northern Ireland now it's more about the European Court of Justice but they will also say um, how important the Good Friday Agreement is and their command paper of July is littered with references to you know the respect of the Good Friday Agreement the need for peace in Northern Ireland so they certainly will refer to it, to that but when you look at what they say you would have to wonder do they understand how critical? Mm this is, do they understand that the more they push on the Northern Ireland Protocol, the more difficult it's going to be to give and of course you wonder then do they really appreciate the significance of the, the peace agreement they say they do Um, But of course, when you analyse what they say from an Irish perspective, certainly you would wonder whether they really mean what they say.
2: And patience must be running thin, not just with the French, but across Europe, uh, because uh, it seems as though when it comes uh, to Brexit, you need to negotiate it, renegotiate it, come to an agreement renegotiate that, come to another agreement, rip that up and start all over again. Uh, But there's also uh, how this has been perceived in each of the 27 European countries now. Uh, How much um, of a consideration is uh, the problems in Poland in relation to what's happening Uh, to the Northern Ireland Protocol and the concessions that the UK government are are getting, given that uh, the Polish government are are looking at sanctions uh, for being the bad boys in uh, the European classroom.
5: Yeah, and you raise a very good point, Michael, about, you know, to what extent is Brexit even on the mindsets of those who who occupy EU fields? And certainly, um, you know, from a, I, I follow a lot, of course, as you know, the European Parliamentary proceedings, and, and and definitely the agenda doesn't have, you know, Brexit issues in the main anymore, and certainly not in the way it used to. And you're absolutely right. The very Worrying and troublesome um, things that we're seeing coming out of Poland at the moment are definitely of much more concern and on the agendas, the EU agendas, problems in, in Hungary equally. And there are other issues. And Shevkovich made this point more recently about you know, how the EU has other things that are very serious on its agenda. COVID-19, and indeed in the news this morning in our own country, we're seeing how much, you know, that still remains an issue. It also remains an issue at an EU level. Um, There are other problems, the Green Deal, the implementation of that, energy prices, and not to mind the political issues, relations with Russia and more at large with China. And as you say, Poland and Hungary causing problems. I mean, there were, you know, these protests recently in Poland where people are desperately afraid that the Polish government might try and yank the country out of the EU. And that would be hugely significant. So there are other things to occupy the minds and the political corridors at an EU level, but it does look like <laughs> Brexit isn't going to go away anytime soon. And no matter how much people at a very high senior level within the EU might like mm. just to bury the Brexit card and just get on with other things. It still isn't going away. It's unlikely it's going to go away anytime soon. Um, and it will have to be resolved and it will probably continue. This isn't going to stop anytime soon. You know, who knows what's going to happen now when Shevkovic and Frost mm. meet in their teams in London and Brussels. What's going to be the outcome of that? Are the UK going to trigger Article sixteen? Then there's going to be more chaos following that. So this isn't going to be resolved. Although okay. Shefkovich said yesterday he hopes, you know, there might be he didn't use these words "light" at the end of the tunnel by the end of the year, but mm. that may be more aspirational than realistic.
2: Yeah, well, it certainly would have been a, a lot of reason for hope on Wednesday if we hadn't heard what we heard on Tuesday uh, from Mr. Frost, uh, but we did, and we are where we are, as they say. Uh, the stakes are high, and there's some way to go. We we'll leave it there for the moment, though, and thank you indeed, as always, for joining us, Karen Coleman, editor with EuroParl Radio,
4: Michael, Michael Reed. On- While our vaccination program is an undisputed success, there are still too many adults that are not fully vaccinated. And over the course of the last seven days, the rate of infection, the number of hospital admissions, and the rate of ICU admissions have all increased. The pandemic has not gone away, and it requires all of us to continue to be careful.
2: That's the Taoiseach Mihal Martin speaking in uh, the Dahl yesterday. Elsewhere, senior officials and uh, political aides uh, met with uh, members of Nefit, who told of an unexpected negative turn in the trajectory of uh, the disease. Uh, the Taoiseach Mihal Martin told his parliamentary party that uh, the. Evidence given uh, yesterday by the Deputy Chief Medical Officer, Ronan Lynn was a serious one and that the disease has taken a wrong turn. The tarnished Leo Radker told the Finnegale party that the rising numbers are a cause for concern. The metrics, he said, are worrying and going in the wrong direction. Dr. Mary Scully is a GP based with Abbey House Medical Centre in Navan and on the line with us once again. And a very good morning to you, Dr. Scully. Thanks for coming back to us. Uh, We didn't think we'd be back to this, but here we are. 2066 cases. Uh, What's going on?
6: No, know, isn't it? Because, you know, everybody's saying we have the highest vaccination rates across the EU. And yet we also seem to have the highest infection rates across the EU. So it's a hard one to understand. And it really must boil down to behaviours. Um, you know, there, there doesn't seem to be any other reasonable explanation for it, that um, people are getting more relaxed in their behaviours, mm. they're socialising more, they're in gatherings more. Um, You know, it's the only thing that I can think of that will explain those two sort
2: of contradictory facts. Well, I I take it it also has to do with uh, the 300,000 people who aren't vaccinated and the way they're behaving. And this is Mm. probably one of the concerns that after the 22nd of October, there'll be no restrictions on those people mixing with the rest of us. And of course, some of those people can't get vaccinated. But what about those who won't get vaccinated, who are refusing to take the vaccination? Uh, I mean, surely we can protect ourselves against those people.
6: Well, I don't think it's a given that that all the restrictions are going to be lifted tomorrow week. Um, The noises coming from the government Mm. um, certainly sound like that they're mulling it over. And, you know, I think there may well be um, some changes in what's
2: going to be listed. Oh, I, 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 th- th- I think that's the case, mm. uh, unfortunately, because of yeah. uh, the numbers, uh, but yeah. uh, I wonder if the the reason for it is at least uh, in part because of uh, the people who won't get vaccinated and what can be done about those. Uh, wh- what can we do to protect our- ourselves from them in every way, not just in a health sense, not just from mm. uh, getting sick or dying from coronavirus or people we know for that matter, but in terms of our, our mental health, the economy, getting out, Reopening, getting back to normality. I mean, these people are dragging the whole country back, aren't they?
6: Well, you could say, you know, definitely the unvaccinated are, you know, they have a very high relative proportion of. The cases in hospital, the cases in ICU, like they say, there's, you know, there's only 10% of the population unvaccinated, but Mm -hmm. they're accounting for 50% of those cases in hospital. So they're a disproportionate number, um, you know, uh, and you do have a point in that some people, for various reasons, medically cannot get vaccinated. But there's a big cohort of people who, for one reason or another, have made a personal choice not to be vaccinated. What's their problem? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they're reading to going down all these rabbit holes on, on social media listening to propaganda. Can and so many stuff.
2: people be that stupid though?
6: Well, I think they might sort of take exception
2: to that. I think I they think might but, the but I mean I, I think they might uh, and I think a lot of us have held back from saying it uh, up to now uh, because we don't want to insult people uh, but we're, I think we're getting to a stage now where we are taking exception to people not just putting us at risk of sickness and death but destroying our lives I know
6: they they, they are having a, it's not just their own personal choice that matters here their choices are affecting the rest of the population. And perhaps, you know, this needs to be driven home from a little bit. Mm. But the trouble is, any of the people I've come across, like in practice, who have not been vaccinated, they're not for turning either. You know, there, there's a, there, there are people we call vaccine hesitant, mm. and they're kind of dithering. Yeah. But most of those have kind of, I think, come down on the, on the side of getting vaccinated, they've been mm. encouraged to get the vaccine. But there are those who are vaccine resistant, and you know, they really are pretty adamant that they're not getting vaccinated. They have Mm. all these theories about, you know, genetics and microcodes and you name it. Population control. Yeah.
2: (laughs) And we saw what happened in terms of population control in Donegal and the very tragic circumstance there where that man was removed from the hospital and yeah. he, he and his friends talking about common law and all this sort of guff.
6: I, I, I you know, that, mm. that was a dreadful,
2: <clears throat> dreadful situation mm. altogether yeah. and mm. that
6: poor man, I felt so sorry for him, mm. um, you know, because if he had stayed in hospital like he was advised to, you know, he may well not have died, but mm. die he did um, and hopefully maybe that maybe will act as a lesson to people who are kind of you know in the same sort of mindset because mm. they really are dragging people down and i think you know my personal opinion is that the vaccine passes may mm. not go next week
2: yeah. um
6: you know because at least that keeps the unvaccinated
2: yeah i think and i'd like to see them extended and uh, enforced better uh, uh, and um that there would be some oversight i, I know that uh, i've been speaking to some people uh, who went went in for a meal in a couple of places and they weren't asked for the vaccine.
6: Oh right, okay. Yeah. I haven't been out that much but any time mm. I have been, I certainly have been Yeah, asked. well
2: I've heard that from other people uh, that they went in uh, to uh, a couple of places. Uh, I've heard it a few times uh, and there was no checks, mm. there was no uh, nobody asking right. for the vaccines, nothing like that for the passports.
6: Mm, okay, well that needs to be a little bit more rigorously mm. enforced then. You know, so yeah. so I think, I think it's possibly the vaccine passes might well stay and yeah. perhaps you know, if if the unvaccinated realise they're not going to get into mm-hmm. a restaurant or a concert or anything, or a shop,
2: um, that might. Uh, well, no, I mean, yeah, which a shop. Yeah, but but why why, why why don't we extend it though? I mean, why, I mean, you know, I, I mean, to the cars and the stick type of, of thing. Okay, if you if you're going to believe in all of this nonsense and you don't want to get vaccinated, that's fine. But give up living while the rest of us get back to it.
6: I think you might have a problem with the human rights people there, Michael. Mm,
2: yeah, <laughs> well, well, see, my human rights are being impacted <laughs> because I'd like to go into a restaurant and not be worried if the person next to me is going to kill me.
6: Mm. Well, you know, I think for voluntary activities um, like um, going into restaurants and going out, um, you know, that I, th- I think that the vaccine passage should remain. But I mean, you can't take away people mm. not being able to shop and <laughs> get their groceries okay. and whatnot. You mm. know, that's yeah. really a little, probably a little bit
2: too extreme. Yeah, Well, but they could do know. click and collect because there's many of us who have done click and collect since March <laughs> 2020. I mean, I haven't yeah. been in a shop because I don't want to be mixing with uh, other people like that. So I do click and collect and it's all very possible. There's ways of doing these things. Oh, it's, there is, yeah. it's, there ju- is. it's just, it seems so unfair. I mean, 90% of the population population of being vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Our heads yeah. didn't fall off, we didn't lose our arms, we didn't collapse, we didn't die there's been, uh, uh, fair enough uh, uh, undoubtedly, some reactions which is the case with any vaccine uh, and uh, you'll hear severe reactions a- a- at times but generally speaking this is the most positive thing that could happen uh, during a pandemic, a once in a lifetime pa- time pandemic which has put all of us at risk and you've got these ages getting on the internet listening to God knows who, who knows nothing about nothing uh, except how to start our trouble, uh, And instead of listening to GPs like yourself, the HSE, the medical experts uh, and uh, the World Health Organization and all of the expertise that's been applied to this, who are saying to us, we, we can get through this if we all work together, they're, they're, they're yeah. intentionally going against us all.
6: I know, I know. But then, you know, they're going to say, you know, we're all part of mainstream media and conspiracy theory and population control, and we're just, you know, bending mm. to the. To the but,
2: oh, I know. We're the, part of mainstream media, which yeah. means that your stories have to be checked and balanced, not just made yeah, exactly. up and pulled out of the exactly. air like you do I on know, the internet. But, yeah. but,
6: but, you know, the, the few people that people <laughs> I've come across, like, really, they are so resistant yeah. to being, con- you know, persuaded into getting the vaccine. Mm. They're really not for turning. So, they're, you know, despite all our best efforts, efforts i think there are going to be a section of the population that will not be vaccinated and Mm. it's just how to stop them from infecting the rest of the population and that's why i think the vaccines are
2: should stay yeah well that's it i mean i think they're even planning another protest in in dublin tomorrow Mm. they're they're, they're not just not willing to get it they're 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 trying to change everything they're trying to stop people from getting it
6: i know i know they are i mean like they're like anybody that's you know, are fans of conspiracy theories. Mm. They are just not for listening to logical sense. In fact, I remember reading an article about <laughs> people like this, and you know, they're saying that the more you try to reason with them and argue with them, the more entrenched they get. So, mm. actually, reasoning with them has a negative effect, <laughs> you know, overall yeah. because they get more entrenched in their mm. in their false beliefs. Oh, I,
2: hear, I, hear, I, hear, I heard one of them say not too long ago, uh, "Isn't it amazing how the people who aren't vaccinated?" Seem to be getting COVID now <laughs> because they're all against us.
6: <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. So I mean,
2: I'm sorry, but I'm sorry, but there are words uh, that I'm not going to use on the radio because you said I shouldn't be insulting people. But I think, I think we all know what the words are. There are other people though uh, 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 who who uh, are sane uh, and uh, who are hesitant and uh, who have reason to be uh, hesitant. Uh, some people. Um, Just because they've always been hesitant uh, about Mm. vaccines, uh, particularly older people, but pregnant women uh, uh, and you can understand where they're coming from. But the evidence shows that they're making a mistake, it would seem because every day we heard last week uh, there's a pregnant woman in ICU.
6: Yes, you know, the, 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 there's only apparently 30% of pregnant women are vaccinated at the moment. So, you know, and they do make up a, a disproportionate number of people ending up in an ICU. So, and the vaccine has been shown to be safe in pregnancy. So, mm. you know, I can understand people's natural reluctance, but I think, you know, they should be getting themselves vaccinated for the sake of themselves and
2: their babies. Well, expected mothers should be asking themselves, uh, do they want their children to grow up without their mother? Uh, And that has been the experience uh, in Derry, as we saw very recently, and uh, that very tragic um, story, uh, which uh, I think uh, was very hard to listen to, especially. Yeah. Uh, when you heard what the husband had to say, um, but that's the reality of it, and these are the decisions that we all have to make. But the decisions that we're making are impacting on other people. And uh, again, I yeah, suppose, in just a couple of yeah. Are, are you seeing? A, are you seeing an increase in cases? By the way.
6: Yes, we are. Yeah. Um, mm. We're seeing. Uh, you know, there, there was kind of you know a, a quiet there during the summer. The case numbers were very low, but we're mm. starting to see them uh, ramp up now. And you know and uh, like even people who are vaccinated i mean a lot of them the cases are vaccinated i'm
2: hearing of an awful lot of people it. i know who are yeah. doubly vaccinated and they're yeah. after getting it and yeah, yeah there's a yeah, family yeah, um yeah. of patients yeah.
6: of mine uh, four in the family and three of them all they're all vaccinated but three of them um all um now isolating with with covid and, and not too well either mm. you know what i mean yeah. like they they sort of say oh yes it's only a mild illness but yeah. you know even a, a mild flu-like illness is mm. you know pretty nasty as well you know so It is hard to know where it's
2: all going to end, isn't it? Well, yeah.
6: Okay. I didn't think uh, 18 months ago we'd still be
2: talking on the radio about it. No. Well, on Monday, NEPH will be meeting and it'll be advising the government uh, before next Friday, which is the 22nd, which is the day that the restrictions should have been lifted, but uh, it doesn't look like it's going that way. Dr. Scully, thank you as always for joining us on the program. Not at all. Thank you very much. That's uh, Dr. Mary Scully, who's a GP based with Abbey House Medical Centre in Navan. Michael
6: Michael Reed on LMFM. LMFM.
2: Now, there's a, a number of people uh, who have uh, been in touch with us. I'm trying to read the messages. It's very difficult uh, because uh, there's a a bit of a problem with the way they're typing them up uh, and they're coming from people who are against the vaccine uh, and they don't seem to be able to spell or uh, to make sense in their messages. Uh, If if you've been uh, texting us uh, and you're anti-vax and you want your opinion on the radio, uh, make it so that we can read it and understand it, will you? And and try to uh, maybe do a spell check on it because there's some messages coming in here and they're just gobbledygook. Maybe that says something about uh, the people who are sending them. Uh, Noel was in touch with us on on Facebook and he says, can Michael Reid please refrain from calling people who who don't get vaccinated stupid? Um, I suppose I can. I suppose you're either stupid or you're mad. Uh, So will I call you mad or will I call you stupid? Um, I'm not sure... Uh, If you're thick or stupid or mad. uh, But uh, if you're not getting vaccinated, there's a real problem if you're choosing not to do it because of the nonsense you're hearing on the the, the internet. Richie wants to know if Michael has any facts to back up what he's saying on the radio. Oh, here's one of this is one of these uh, people who oh yeah, and I saw it on the internet, and oh yeah, there was this man. Uh, uh, he had uh, three heads, and and his legs fell off when he got the vaccine. Yeah, yeah, very good, Ritchie. Richie, um, Richie uh, go and speak to your mammy and your daddy and ask them about it. Uh, they'll tell you all about the facts uh, because they're probably reading newspapers uh, and uh, listening uh, to the mainstream media where the facts are checked. Somebody else says I've lost all respect for Michael Reed after this morning's interview. We'll never listen to the show again. That's brilliant, Deuce. That's great. Uh, and please don't text us again if uh, you're one of those nutters. Uh, uh, somebody else says, uh, "Can LMFM allow others to have their opinion um, listened to?" Uh, we we allow all valid opinions on the program. You know, if you have a valid opinion, we'll allow it on the program. If you're one of these. Mad people who says that the vaccine is going to do something to you or that Bill Gates is trying to kill you or um, that somebody is trying to control you or put a micro. Just go away. Go go away. We, we, we that, that is not an opinion. That's just madness. We will allow valid opinions on the radio. No problem somebody else though uh with a a different uh take on this saying you're putting too much emphasis on the unvaccinated people holding up the full reopening i'm fully pro vaccinated and i got them the first chance i had but at the end of the day even if everyone is vaccinated the disease can still be passed and uh you as a vaccinated person can still pick it up put simply the vaccines aren't the golden ticket they were said to be they're a plug hole i've heard of many people with COVID who have been double jabbed and the fact that around 30% of people in ICU are fully vaccinated with God knows how many in hospital that are doubly jabbed, then you really need to realise that it's not just the unvaccinated that are spreading this virus. Absolutely correct. I agree with that completely 100%, which is why it's all the more important that those people who are going on this mad, 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 stupid, 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 tick, tick, tick route of not getting vaccinated stop. Think about what you're doing. Think about the risk you're putting to yourself and to others and indeed the way that you're ruining this country. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Somebody else says I'm not against the vaccine but I personally won't be getting it. I have issue with not hearing both sides of an opinion on it. You've heard there's one side of an opinion on it. Get the vaccine and protect yourself. Uh, you're not sitting and taking both opinions into consideration. We are. You can get sick or you can get vaccinated. This is freedom of choice. Yeah, well, you can choose to do whatever you do so long as you don't make me sick or kill me or hold the country to ransom. Uh, thank you indeed, uh, Patricia in R. D. who says she'd love to have a word with uh, me. Uh, well, thanks, Patricia. We're here. Uh, give us a call and we'd be delighted to talk to you.
6: Michael Reid
2: Reid on, on LMFM. The government has been defending its record on housing and, indeed, what will happen as a result of the budget for people who are in need of housing.
4: This budget does deal with many, many thousands of people who rent. But maybe the people on the housing, uh, the HAP payment doesn't matter to you, or people on RAS, or people who get rent supplement don't matter to you. But these are real renters in real homes... That the government directly supports. 65,000 tenants would have, 17,000 through RAS and 20,000 through uh, the rent um, supplement, with about 600 million um, provided uh, to support renters in those um, situations. The other key measure yesterday that will benefit renters is the tax relief, the indexation of income tax bans and credits. 1.8 million working families Um, will benefit from that tax package that was announced yesterday.
2: Mm, I wonder how many of them are renting. Maybe we'll talk uh, about that in a moment. But one thing for certain is uh, that uh, the problem that people face if they are renting is that the rents keep going up. Uh, The Taoiseach uh, said uh, that uh, the government is about to tackle this.
4: The minister is committed in the next number of weeks uh, to bring in a cap below the level of inflation uh, to keep uh, rents Uh, to keep the pressure on rents downwards and that they wouldn't uh, go up uh, at the same level as they would have uh, previously. Uh, And this would be lower than obviously what was provided for the rent pressure zones um, themselves. And the Minister has been very consistent and focused also in improving the capacity um, of the RTB uh, in terms of penalising landlords who breach rent caps, uh, and identifying them. He's provided additional resources in, in the budget, what, uh, £11 million given to the RTB for 2022 to help it carry out uh, this particular work.
2: That's the Taoiseach Mihal Martin speaking in uh, the doll yesterday. Father Peter McVerry, Jesuit priest who works with uh, the homeless on uh, the line with us uh, this morning. Good morning to you, Father, and uh, Hi, thanks, you. as always, uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, the Taoiseach talking up the mm-hmm. budget uh, yesterday. Uh, what did you make of it?
7: Uh, for renters not very much to be honest Uh, remember the the government are saying that they're going to introduce measures to to cap rents it's only a couple of months since they introduced a measure to cap rents and linked it with inflation now inflation is running at about 3.9% so we're back to square one Mm. with a rent cap of of 4% Mm. so now they're talking about introducing some new rent cap
2: 2% I think isn't it
7: I don't know what to, mm, no, I don't I know what they decided on. Yeah. The mm. only solution: look, rents are outrageously high, mm. and the only solution is a rent freeze or even some measure to reduce rents.
2: But well, a rent cap, rent is, fees, a rent cap, is different than a rent freeze. If it is two percent, that's two percent more than what you're paying, and if you can't afford that now, uh, that's two percent too much. Uh, so yeah. uh,
7: my other problem is the mention of the private residential tenancies board they are finding great difficulty (laughs) in dealing with complaints because sometimes the tenant doesn't know who the landlord is. The tenant may be dealing with an estate agent and there's no obligation on the estate agent to identify who the landlord is. So if the landlord is breaking the law or if there is a complaint about a deposit not being returned, The Private Residential Tenancies Board can't act because they don't know who the landlord is and they've no way of finding out who the landlord is. Really? Yeah, absolutely.
2: And is the onus then not on the estate agent?
7: No, the estate agent is only acting as an intermediary.
2: That's a right loophole, isn't it? It's horrendous.
7: It is horrendous.
2: My God, I never heard that before. That really is a loophole
7: absolutely the it, whole private rented sector is in a mess
2: well if you have a loophole like that I'm sure
7: landlords
2: mm, but I'm and sure if you have a loophole like are that
7: financial difficulties and many landlords have a good social conscience of course but there are a lot a lot of greedy uh, rogue landlords out there who are just out to milk the system
2: and I, I take it if you have a, a loophole like that that those landlords that you're talking about who want to milk this system and are happy to do it uh, will work that loophole
7: absolutely my third problem is with the HAP the HAP payment hasn't been increased now for five or six years and many tenants on the HAP payment are having to pay what's called a top up right People I know who are on social welfare once a month they have to pay a top up of somewhere between 125 and 200 euros to the landlord oh out of a social welfare payment of 200 euros mm. because the hap uh, the HAP level has not been increased so yeah. they're in dire poverty they're already on the social welfare system mm. they're already struggling to make ends meet and now they have this huge top up okay in so in addition to uh, in addition to their payment towards the Hapa, Hapa Mountain.
2: Right, so these are, are, are different to the people that Taoiseach was talking about who are going to get these tax cuts, uh, people who are earning close on €40,000 and more.
7: Yes, and I have sympathy for those uh, who oh. are uh, on the 40000 yeah. or more because if they're renting, many of them are unable to save a deposit to buy it, to get a mortgage for a, for a house. Yeah. So really the rental system is the key to to uh, re- reducing the problems within the housing system if the mm. rents were at a normal level people could get a mortgage and could move on to to secure a house mm. uh, but, but the ba- the vast majority the of
2: people is- who are renting or are finding it difficult to make their rent aren't on that kind of money and the tax cuts that the Taoiseach was talking about there that will help renters doesn't really apply to them
7: well if uh, it it may, it may not apply to them but uh, I mean tax cuts for people who are struggling are of course always welcome but uh, <clears throat> the, the, it doesn't address the, the myriad problems, problems that the private rented sector is, 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 is facing
2: mm. The Taoiseach was saying something yesterday as well that I think uh, you'll wholeheartedly agree with uh, and uh, that the issue of supply and the solution is build more houses The issue
7: of supply Supply is a necessary condition, (laughs) but not a sufficient condition. (laughs) It depends what the supply is. There's plenty of supply for houses at the top end of the market, that's what the private sector will build. They'll build houses where profit is uh, can be maximized. They're not interested in building houses for, uh, for, for low-income families. Yeah. So it's not just the supply that counts, it's the supply of affordable houses that, that counts. And the constant emphasis on supply, supply, supply misses the point that you can have a massive supply, but it can still be unaffordable for the majority of Irish people it's the supply of affordable houses and that's not going to be provided by the private sector that has to be provided by government Mm. they have to take the initiative and uh, take the lead in providing affordable
2: housing Mm, and they have the plan in place the housing for all strategy which uh, you have already said previously said uh, it doesn't go far enough
7: no it, it doesn't the housing for all there's a lot of good things in the housing for all strategy uh, but the big question is, is it aspirational <laughs> or is it achievable? Uh, you know, we want to build 33,000 new houses a year. Uh, is that achievable? Well, we don't have the manpower to do it. We don't yeah. have the construction workers. If we're going to do that, we have to bring in construction workers from outside. They're not going to come into the country unless they have somewhere to live mm. at, an affordable, at an affordable rate. So is it achievable? Is it aspirational? I will, with, I will reserve judgment on that for maybe a, a, a 12 months or so to see what is actually being achieved. But if I was a betting person, I would say this is largely aspirational, though I will admit there are some very, very good things in the Housing for All uh,
2: package. Okay, what about uh, the tax on vacant sites, this 3%, uh, which is replacing the vacant site levy of uh, 7%?
7: yeah it's it's a zoned uh, it's a it's a tax on zoned land which isn't being used now uh zoned land land is at the moment the three percent levy is is derisory in my in my account uh, land inflation is considerably more than three percent so if somebody wants to hold on to the land for two or three years pay the three percent they're still making an extra profit If they were really serious about this, the tax would be 10% or 15%. That would make a difference. But 3% still leaves them with a profit if they decide just to hoard the land. And land speculation, the minister himself has acknowledged land speculation, is a major cause of the uh, crisis that we have. There are 8,000 hectares of zoned land lying idle. That's enough to build 225,000 houses. <laughs> and it's lying idle because by leaving it lying idle, uh, speculators can, uh, can maximise their profits.
2: Okay, that's a lot of houses and you would contend, uh, I gather from everything you've said this morning at least, that uh, the government could have done more for people who are renting or looking uh, for housing long term uh, in uh, the announcements that were made in, in next year's budget uh, on Tuesday.
7: I, I think they could have done a lot more. But the question I always ask, whose side is government on? Is it on the side of the banks, the large investment funds, and the landlords? Or is it on the side of people struggling to pay a rent or a mortgage? And for me, the answer is very clear.
2: Okay. Thank you indeed uh, for talking to us, as always. Father Peter Mcvery, Irish uh, Jesuit priest who works with uh, the homeless. Uh, Let me bring you some more of the comments. Noel believes that Michael needs to mind his own business. He needs to apologise for calling people stupid. I've stood back and I've held off for 18 months. I didn't know whether to call people thick or stupid. And then somebody said, don't call them stupid. So then I didn't know whether to call them stupid or mad. And I'm talking about the people I'm not talking about pregnant women. I'm not talking about people who have a fear of vaccines uh, uh, and uh, might want to talk to somebody about it. I'm talking about the people who think that there's population control uh, at work here, that somebody's trying to kill them, that somebody's trying to microchip them, uh, that there's some uh, plot to control the population, that uh, the people in the government are in cahoots with other elite forces and the mainstream media. All that nonsense that people are, are, are reading on the internet and Uh, is forcing 300,000 people or a bulk of them not to get the the vaccine. They're stupid. And I'm not apologising for that, Noel. They're the same people, by the way, who believe that the Earth is flat. They're the same people who believe in Agenda 21, which is something to do with the year 2021 where all of this is going to happen and going to control the population. They're the same people who believe (laughs) that uh, there's lizards inside people who look like humans, but they're actually lizards inside who've come from outer space. They're the same people who believe that the royal family are <laughs> reptiles or that when you see smoke coming out of aeroplanes, <laughs> that it's nothing to do with the fuel, that it's uh, some sort of chemical which is designed to kill people. This, is, this These are the conversations that I, I'm, I'm not joking. They, that's stupid. That's stupid. Uh, and they're the same people who believe you shouldn't get vaccinated. They're either stupid or they're crazy. They're stupid or they're mad. They're thick or they're stupid or they're mad. So uh, make of it what you will know, uh, but think about it. Jimmy says Michael should keep his opinion to himself. How dare he call anyone an idiot? He should apologise to the people. OK, I won't call you an idiot uh, if you fall into that thing about saying the earth is flat and the, there's lizards walking around. You're not stupid. You're just mad. Is that all right, Jimmy? A listener on WhatsApp says he cannot believe your attitude this morning. You haven't a clue about people's thinking on this subject and you most certainly don't have any right to call people names. Shame on you. Thank you indeed. Uh, I think I've a, a, an idea that the doctors are telling people to get vaccinated and there's some group of idiots who are trying to stop people from getting vaccinated. They're putting those people at risk. They're putting themselves at risk. They're putting me at risk. They're putting my family at risk. They're putting my colleagues at risk. They're putting my neighbours at risk and they are ruining the country. Shame on them. Cahill in Mornington says he totally agrees uh, with what I'm saying. He's a PhD research student in psychology and he says we were always expected to back up an argument with evidence from reputable sources, not Wikipedia or social media. Thank you, Cahill, for your call to the programme. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on LMFM. Were you listening to us yesterday? You might have heard uh, Peter Fitzpatrick uh, speaking in the Doll on Tuesday. If you were listening to us uh, yesterday, and if you were, you'll remember he was telling us uh, that he had a, a puff on a cigarette uh, in school once, down at uh, bicycle sheds to impress his mates and all that. It was absolutely disgusting. He said he'd never do it again. But he was talking about the fifty cent extra that's been put on cigarettes in the budget, and he was asking, could that money be put to use to research what's in cigarettes and to help people get them off cigarettes. And he was back in the Doll again yesterday talking about the same thing.
8: Uh, sorry, Minister, I just woke up last night to the town Show and uh, uh, I'm getting a lot of flack at people having to pay an extra 50 cents for the packet of the cigarettes. And they made a suggestion that the money, the extra 50 cents, should be, should be, should be engaged in some way of helping these people to combat the addiction. So Minnesota, I said to the tolerance last night, I wanted to, be, to say to the assembly I said today is, please can we use the 50 cents that the that, 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 that people are paying extra taxes on cigarettes towards helping combat addictions.
2: That's Peter Fitzpatrick speaking in The Dole. And it's an interesting point you make, uh, Peter. Thanks for joining us this morning, by the way. It's an interesting point you make uh, because the question is, where does that money go? Uh, and it just goes to the general exchequer, doesn't it?
8: Well, the question I asked Thomas today, yesterday, uh, on Tuesday, where did the money go? He told me that £16 million was provided uh, to, uh, to head Ireland campaign to reduce smoking and obesity. And then he said that the balance of the money, which is roughly about £25 was going to mental health issues. But, Michael, as, I, as he told me there on Tuesday, like this 50 cent extra on a pack of cigarettes is going to create an extra £56 million in revenue. I asked him basically what the ring, the ring fence uh, last week I was on your program talking about drugs. Hmm. This week I'm on talking about cigarettes and like you know nothing good comes from smoking.
2: Well, they say that uh, cigarettes are as uh, strong if not stronger than heroin in terms of the addiction.
8: Especially, especially young people there. Like hmm. uh, there was a lot of uh, contribution there in the debate on Tuesday. And like you know, this it, this it contributes to about uh, six thousand deaths every year. There's roughly about two hundred thousand people in the hospital. In back in 2013, is the last time I can get figures as so much as much cost in the HSE the three people calling into to uh, the hospitals and that there they're talking about about 450 to 500 million and I'm just trying to say to you, listen, nobody, and you does nobody people have a choice you can smoke and you, and, and you don't have to smoke but I'm trying to say if we can get the, the, the young people at an early age educate them let them know the damage the smoking can do and uh, the problem is like, people take it to smoke for 5, 10, mm. or 15 years to stop straight away that everything stops there's a, there's a lot of benefits from quitting smoking like Michael I, I just read in the report Pokemon your program this morning it says if you quit smoking after one year uh, y- y- the risk of heart attacks is much lower yeah. if, you, if, if, you, if you quit between two and five years the, the your risk of smoke stops and you can go on and on like the risk of mm. mouth, throat and blabber catcher it, it's, all, it's all these side effects and
2: it's not just that, you know. just that though I mean you could buy a house
8: Oh, um, but, but, but Michael? But, Michael, but not, Michael, my main issue, Michael, is is your health.
2: Yeah. Oh, I know. I know. But it, it's the cost. It's fifteen euro. Somebody called, texted yesterday saying their pack of cigarettes is now fifteen thirty. Uh, would it help if it was twenty thirty or twenty five thirty? Would that be better?
8: Well, well, the shocking. Before I'm on the again, I looked at it. If you smoke twenty cigarettes per day, seven days a week, three hundred and sixty five days a year, yeah. just one packet, that's five and a half thousand euros. Yeah, like you know, that, that, that's that's, a, that's a, an enormous amount of money. Mm. If you look at people who's in social welfare, get roughly about twelve thousand a year. Mm. That's nearly half the money gone straight away in smoking and such. I yeah. But it's, it's not, it, 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 the, I, I try to tease the to, uh, the right there on Tuesday because the question didn't ask him. Nobody seems to know what kind of substance is going in the, in the making of cigarette. Mm
2: maybe the man on the other line does uh, John Mallon is a spokesperson uh, for the smokers group Forest Ireland uh, which has the support of uh, the tobacco industry John do you know what's in cigarettes I know there's rat poison in them
9: <laughs> uh, good morning Michael <laughs> uh, I have no idea what's in them uh, I was a smoker myself for years I was, uh, for a long time I was on 40 a day
2: yeah but um, everybody knows there's rat poison in them
9: well, why would you put rat poison in them I don't know <laughs> I don't think so. Um, The the issue with smoking, all of the risks associated with with smoking, is when you light a cigarette, when you light tobacco and burn it, um, like with anything you burn, it it changes its its, uh, chemical makeup. And for example diesel uh, coming out of a car, diesel exhaust is carcinogenic. The smoke from cigarettes uh, can be carcinogenic also because you're changing the chemical composition of a substance by by burning it. Um, I I know that, that. That's always be the argument free cigarettes because you don't like them and there's no tobacco in them but that's, that's a that's for another day uh the, the reaction to the 50 cent you you said at the, at the start there um that that some doctors will tell you that that uh cigarettes are as hard to give up as heroin that they're as addictive yeah if that, if that were the case i mean can you could you pronounce the heroin out of it i don't think so could you what um, sorry could you price them out of it? You know, I don't. In other words, I don't think that the fifty cents is going to make one bit of a difference to people who smoke. Well, because might, a you mightn't start.
2: You mightn't start. I mean, not an awful lot of people take heroin, relatively speaking.
9: No, they don't. Yeah, but because uh, because, for,
2: because of the health consequences and the price and the lifestyle, the uh, fact that you have to end up uh, getting into criminality and all of that. If you had cigarettes that expensive, uh, perhaps very few people would take up smoking. So I think it is a very good argument, actually.
9: No, it's a very bad argument, Michael, because that for the heroin addicts, what the government, the reaction the government has is to set up methadone clinics at high cost. Uh, and always what they do with the smoker instead is to punish them. Now, you have an alternative. But it's still uh, only every, a small
2: amount of heroin users that you need methadone clinics for. Uh,
9: absolutely, but yeah. in, around, around the country you have an alternative in every street corner. You can you can buy uh, illegal cigarettes. And it's, it's actually not illegal, it's not against the law to buy them. Uh, they're way way less than half the price of the cigarettes in the shop um, and, and, but you know the, the revenue side of it is interesting uh, I heard your, your speaker there Peter um, do you know how much the government took in, in revenue from tobacco last year 2020, do, do you know what the actual uh, sum is?
2: Tell, I well, I, well I, I, I presume it's a rhetorical question. Tell us. Th- no, 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 it's not rhetorical. It's one point two billion. Yeah. Okay. One point two billion. Uh, and in uh, and, and, and um, let's um, let's um, put that problem let's problem put problem. that to Peter Fitzpatrick because that's a, a a lot of money and undoubtedly Peter a lot of that money was used uh, in the health service uh, because a lot of people ended up very sick and dying of cancer and stuff. Uh, apparently, there's things like nicotine in cigarettes that we know of, hydrogen cyanide, for maldehyde, lead, arsenic, ammonia, radioactive elements such as planonium, uh, benzene uh, and other things. A, a million and one contents. Uh, but why does people? Why do people light, light up uh, things uh, that have rat poison in them and then inhale them? Uh, I, I mean, no, no wonder that uh, 1.2 billion is needed by the government to help treat them.
8: Michael, as I said earlier in your programme, it, it's causing over 500 million a year to treat these people with smoking uh, pollen. But uh, this, uh, John, John, the statistics are showing, John, that there's over 7,000 chemicals in tobacco smoke at, at least, and 250 are known to be harmful. And Michael, you mentioned rat poison. For someone which uh, arsenic can actually make its way into cigarette smoke. Now, the, these are 7,000 chemicals that we know that's, in, that's illegal cigarettes. My, my biggest concern is, what's in the legal cigarettes? We don't know what's in it. Now, John, you did mention, John, there in 2020, the receipts from the tax was $1.2 billion. John, that's a lot of money, John, is. But I mean, this, 50, this 50 cent increase in the pack of the cigarettes is going to be uh, taking $56 million. And I'm asking the government, uh, that $56 million the $1.2 billion is is 0.4% tax receipts. So I am asking the government to ring-fence that $56 million and invest in to help people to combat smoking. Like, you know, and not be smart, these cigarettes companies are going after young people because 20% of the population in this country at the moment on under 24 years age of smoking and they are chasing the young people and to me it's not very, not very
2: mm. fair. And they're it's chasing bad, them with the e-cigarettes as well. Did you ever see 12 year old smoking e-cigarettes? You don't what on earth that's supposed to be the methadone that they uh, have for heroin, the equivalent of that. It's meant to help to get you off the drug, which is the cigarette uh, and they start off using the e-cigarettes it's supposed to be cool or something these days
8: it, it's, bad, it's bad enough people smoking and, and everything else but what about the person that walks past these people smoking like, the 7,000 campers coming in to smoke. And as, as you know yourself, like, it, 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 you know, it, it shouldn't happen. And I know John, John says the reason everybody, everybody has an option to smoke and not smoke. But people don't have an option. If you walk past someone in the streets that's smoking, and all of a sudden you, you, you breathe in the, the smoke from them there, like that, 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 is, that is cancerous. That is actually very, very, very dangerous. So what I'm just going to say is, like, people should be given a choice from an early age. And I do believe that the schools have to play a big part in this at the moment. Like, if you remember years ago, they used to put in there, they said to, to put the graphics in the back of a pack of cigarettes, the damage they can do. Like, if you've got a young person and you show the young person lungs and then you show lungs of, of, of a person who would smoke for 10 or 15 years, the difference would be unbelievable in that end. I, I, do, I do think we have known it to educate young people at a very early age, mm. to let them know that they're that, 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 that smoking. If I
2: gave you 100 quid, that, would you smoke a cigarette?
8: Michael, if they give me a million euros, I wouldn't smoke a cigarette.
2: <laughs> How much should they be? How much should the packet be if you had your way?
8: Michael, to be honest, Michael, it's, it's, it's fundamental. The, the, the price, to me, makes a difference. It's, it's, it's the health. I'm more concerned about the damage that smoking can do at the moment, mm. Michael. I don't smoke, Michael, and smoking doesn't affect me at yeah. all. Well, but but, it, but it, does, it does affect me if I walk past someone who's, you know, who's smoking, or if, if a child, or my child, or my grandchild. Mm. I think prevention, as I said you last week about the drugs, and the same as the tobacco this week, prevention is the best cure. We have to invest and, and educate people that it the damage that smoking.
2: OK, I take it, John Mallon, you agree with a, a lot of that because uh, obviously you were concerned enough about your health to give them up uh, and uh, to try and... Uh, undo all the damage that you did over the years.
9: Yeah, it, you know we have been saying for years, education the government should be putting the money into education not punishment of smokers here's an interesting one, it was somebody else said this to me, it was a journalist in Dublin how would it be if the government uh, they, they call this incentivising smokers to quit, it isn't, it's punishing them for smoking we call it spade a spade but how would it be if they really did incentivize them if they said look, you could register with the HSE and if you say off cigarettes for two months, three months Pick your, pick your time. Uh, we'll give you 200 euros or 500 euros, and then you'll be off them for life. And you can use e-cigarettes, or we, we'll provide you with free uh, uh, nicotine replacement products from the pharmacy. Uh, they, they have nicotine in them as well, the gums and the, 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 the patches and so on. And if we, they incentivize. They run a nationwide campaign on the million or so smokers and say, right, we're getting serious about this now. We'd like you to quit. Um, if you sign up for us, you'll get free education mm. on the dangers and so on and there'll be a lump sum at the end of it for you to celebrate uh, your success. I think if they've never actually considered something constructed like that, it's always punishment, punishment, punishment. And, of course, they're driving the smoker into the arms of the criminal gangs who now have... The, uh, the, up where you are, uh, I've been reading in the papers that the, the, uh, the criminals have, have whole barns around the countryside with big, expensive machinery in them, uh, that making the cigarettes and packing them. They're bringing in the the tobacco and bales mm-hmm. into yeah, Canada.
2: Yeah, not sure we all know about it, yeah. You know, yeah.
9: But, uh, but if you could imagine what the profit must be like for them if they're doing that and selling them at half price, mm. it's ridiculous. It's a, a ridiculous situation.
2: All right, uh, we we'll leave it there. Thank you indeed uh, to both of you for joining us here on at the program, uh, and uh, thanks uh, to uh, the caller who's been in touch with us, uh, who says their anti visor. Uh, I'm not sure if that's anti-vaxxer or anti-visor, but uh, they say this has all got to do with George Gates and they want the right to protect their bodily extorty. Uh, They want the right not to have chips put in their body, uh, that the whole thing is a, a cover up, that the vax kills. COVID doesn't exist, says our caller. Thanks uh, for that. Uh, thanks, by the way. I uh, should have said thank you uh, to our two guests there, Peter Fitzpatrick, Independent DD for Loudon Mead, and John Mallon, who's a spokesperson for the smokers group Forest Ireland. Uh, another text uh, from someone who says, I'm sitting here listening to Michael Reid and I'm in shock. Never have I heard such an attack on a group of people being allowed to go out on air. How dare he call people who, for whatever reason, they decide not to get the vaccine, stupid or mad. Uh, no, no, that's not what happened. Uh, What I said was there's plenty of people who can't get the vaccine and are advised not to. There's others who are concerned about it. Uh, There's pregnant women uh, who uh, maybe are misinformed. Uh, Certainly, uh, the experts are saying that they should. There's other people who are cautious for other reasons. But there's a group of people, a cohort of people who are listening to mad stuff on the Internet, uh, like uh, Bill Gates, I think it is, (laughs) or George Soros. Uh, or um, all this other mad stuff. They're the mad people, the stupid people. Uh, so uh, it's not as you say. Uh, but thank you indeed uh, for taking the time. There's a lot of people uh, who are in touch with us about this this morning. Uh, it's uh, the silent minority or the vocal minority. Uh, I think, Uh, but the silent majority are starting to speak up because there's some people getting in touch with us uh, as well to say that they're sick of these people John Androhada has gone an awful lot uh, further than I have, he says you're 100% right Michael, he says they're stupid thick gobshites Thanks John Androhada
6: Michael,
2: Michael Reed, Reed on LMFM now, uh, somebody in touch with us saying I'm quitting smoking at the moment, two weeks so far, cold turkey, only mints Smokers don't need to be paid to give up, they, like me, just need to decide to do it because of their health and their wallet. Oh and vaping is useless for giving up We're still not sure of the safety of vaping and let's face it you're giving up one smoky thing for another. What happens when you give up vaping? Oh yeah Back on the fags, says our caller. Best of luck to you in giving them up. Jerry Brady in Clongill in Wilkinson hasn't looked back since 2014. He says, I smoked for over 40 years and I'm off them since 2014, and I never want to see a cigarette again. I think 25 euro wouldn't be enough for 20 cigarettes. Well, you know, Jerry, they say there's nothing worse than a reformed smoker. You and me both, mate. Uh, A text to us uh, from somebody who says, if he doesn't like smoke, tell him to cross the Funking Road, wherever the Funking Road is. Thank you, Barney and Knockbridge. Uh, Another text uh, from somebody who says, Michael, I fully agree with you in regards to the conspiracy heads at this stage of the game. We have listened to much, too much to fools and to their theories. The country is open and most of us are trying to get on with things. They are anti-vax, anti-government and anti-HSE. So of these so-called awake people break a leg will common law fix it would they have to check to ask the HSE for help are they not the enemy the elite the new world order etc asks our caller Very well put. Maggie says, thank God uh, we have a a voice uh, for ordinary people. I'm vaccinated and so are our children and I'm terrified of COVID, especially for my children. Look around, Michael. No wonder the figures are rising. Too many people becoming complacent uh, and she says thanks for everything that the station has done for the last 18 months. Thank you, Maggie, for your text. Uh, Another call or text from somebody who says, I couldn't agree more. These stupid people expect me and my colleagues to put ourselves at risk. To look after them when they end up in hospital with COVID, the selfishness of them. Somebody else uh, in touch uh, saying, if you don't calm down, you'll have a heart attack, Michael. Thanks, Max, for worrying about me. Somebody else says, it's the first time I've ever agreed with Michael (laughs) Reid. Well, there's always a first for everything. Margaret says, the anti-vaxxers say... It's their choice not to get vaccinated. So why do they try to stop people who choose to get it from getting him? To me, the anti-vaxxers are a minority of bullies who want their rights respected, but not the rights of people who want the vaccine personally. I don't think they should be treated in hospital if they get COVID, as they don't believe it even exists. Maybe that might wake them up to the truth of how serious COVID is. That's if... Uh, they end up believing it, uh, says uh, our caller. Thanks very much for that. Uh, the the reality is a lot of them are uh, finding out that COVID exists because 50% of the people in ICU are people who have not been vaccinated. All right, uh, let's go back uh, to the budget and some of uh, the statements made in the doll. yesterday about the budget. We're going to hear, first of all, from the Taoiseach, Hall Martin. This is part of a statement about the budget. Or was it a statement... About Sinn Fein.
4: The reality is that we do have to respond to the always escalating and crude attacks of the opposition parties. This has been repeated again in this debate, and it is therefore necessary to devote a small portion of this speech to responding. As we saw repeatedly during the most difficult phases of the pandemic, political cynicism and opportunism is the defining characteristic of Sinn Fein's approach to politics. Not only was its policy constantly changing, at different points it was both for and against different policies on the same day, it really took a new level of cynicism to both demand restrictions and attack restrictions, depending on who the audience was. And of course, the often highly personal attacks on the vaccine programme have never been withdrawn. This stands in marked contrast to others here who endeavoured to be constructive. Everyone here has long become used to the fact that Sinn Féin responds to even the most detailed and factual criticism with aggression and abuse. With the media, their approach has been to work on the hope and expectation that journalists and researchers do not have the time to check its claims or to look at its record in government and the Northern Executive. I hope this budget will be a moment when this approach begins to run out of road. Sinn Féin has managed to expose itself as promising everything to everybody with not the slightest intention to deliver. For most of the last year, the party has angrily attacked any proposal to touch the pandemic unemployment payment. Deputy Macdonald said that it represented, and I quote, the bare minimum that anyone could be expected to live on and should be the permanent rate. Yet in Sinn Féin's alternative budget, not one euro is provided for retaining the payment and it would take 15 years of their proposed increases to reach the level Deputy Macdonald told us was the bare minimum.
2: And that was the Taoiseach Mihal Martin speaking in the Dáil yesterday. Michael Reed on LMFM.
8: On the 22nd of October uh, we are going to remove almost all legal restrictions uh, in the state um, that were introduced as a consequence of the pandemic. Um, there will be no social distancing required. Um, hospitality venues will be able to uh, return to the capacity that they had pre-pandemic. People will be able to order a drink at a bar.
2: Wow. wow. Leo Fradker telling us what to expect on uh, the 22nd of October a couple of weeks ago. Now that's on Friday week a week from tomorrow but how quickly things seem to be changing.
4: And over the course of the last seven days the rate of infection the number of hospital admissions and the rate of ICU admissions have all increased. The pandemic has not gone away and it requires all of us to continue to be careful.
2: That's, that's the Taoiseach speaking in the doll yesterday and it seems as though NAFIT may be looking at advising the government. It's certainly uh, what we've been hearing uh, from uh, that high-level meeting between uh, the Deputy CMO and uh, the secretary generals of several departments yesterday, that they may be advising the government not to go ahead with lifting the restrictions as planned on Friday of next week.
1: I just heard on the the grapevine there that the Taoiseach has made an announcement uh, just to indicate that the restrictions... Uh, that were to lift uh, on the 22nd of October may not now uh, be lifted and may be extended now. Um, I I hope I'm wrong if if, if the the Taoiseach is thinking along that direction. Um, because of a number of
2: reasons. Indeed. Padder Tobin, speaking in the doll. yes. Uh, let's uh, talk uh, to Mark McGowan, who's uh, the president of uh, the Restaurants Association of Ireland. And a very good morning to you, Mark, and thanks uh, indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, you've been open in uh, Scholars for some time, as indeed restaurants around uh, the country have been. But uh, this will make a big difference in terms of capacity, what is uh, decided one way or another for next Friday.
1: Uh, michael good morning to you so we're, we're at a quite a critical time of year as well for this announcement to be coming up so we're in the middle of planning our christmas bookings the logistics of how we're going to take those bookings in and um, so at the moment we're still limited to a table of six and everybody that's coming onto the premises has to be vaccinated so any changes to that we need to know about immediately and i can't emphasize that enough in terms of how we plan for for Christmas and how we plan for, for our future bookings coming in, um, it would be an absolute disaster now at this stage. Uh, we're really we're ready to go here, and I totally understand that um, you know ICU admission is on the mm. rise. Um, if it's the case that the restrictions are lifted, um, or, or sorry, if they if they stay in place, I'd like to see the table numbers changed for vaccinated guests and other restrictions within the venue for vaccinated, if that's the case. Mm. What I'm I'm hearing the whole time is is that there's still a high level of unvaccinated people that are driving admission. I'm not a scientist, I don't know, Mm. but if it is the case, and if that's factual, well then I think that full restrictions should be listed for any of our guests that are allowed to come into the venue.
2: Okay, I was uh, talking to Dr Scully earlier this morning and I, I was saying to the GP that I've heard of a couple of places at least uh, that are not check, checking for passports. Uh, uh, have you any thoughts on that?
1: I. Everybody should be checking for passports at the moment. Because so. if
2: they're not, that's part of yeah. the problem, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. It w- absolutely yeah. part of the problem. So we have a, a massive responsibility as business owners to ensure that we are continuing to check vaccination certs, and that the staff are diligent and follow mm. through. It's not always easy, Michael. I've been on the door myself and I've had regular customers coming up to me Oh, how are you mark out things and all of a sudden I'm asking them for um, identification and the, and the COVID cert. it's not very pleasant for the staff to have to do but that's our responsibility as hospitality people to follow through yeah. and
2: make sure that but, 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 but as you say it's non-vaccinated people who are driving up the figures. Uh, would it be better to keep the restrictions in place so that only vaccinated people could come in but to ease the restrictions once they are in?
1: There's there's been huge compliance in the sector all the way through, Michael, and we follow public health advice. All Mm. I can do is, if that is a fact, as I I was reading a story on RT News there, you have um, the the Chief Operations Officer, Anne O'Connor, stating that 10% of the adult population is driving 50% of admissions and Mm. they're all unvaccinated. If that's a fact, well, then we have to really look at how we're operating Within within the businesses, and surely inside the business, yeah. restrictions could be lifted yeah. if it's a case that people need to don't, don't uh, have to be vaccinated.
2: Yeah, if, if the people are vaccinated, and that's that, that's what I mean, uh, because yeah, I, I'm is. also I'm also hearing from people uh, who are saying I, I'm not going to go. I mean, this was last week before there was a, this talk of keeping the restrictions in place. But I've heard from people who said I'm not going to go to a restaurant or a pub or anything like that after the 26th, when non-vaccinated people can come in because they're just too risky
1: yeah it's a, like i mean i mean it's so hard for us to i mean where do we go from here as yeah. well once once we do reopen so uh, i i think we're it's a lose lose for hospitality to be honest because we're damned if we do we're damned mm. if we don't and ultimately we can only follow the laws that are in place at, the time, yeah. at any given time but you know?
2: would it be better for you as sort of just to rephrase that question i'm not sure it was clear but it, would it be better for you let's say that if you could have tables of 10 or 15 or 20 uh, but you would only be, the restriction would remain in place that you would only be allowed to allow uh, vaccinated people onto your premises.
1: Exactly. That's that's where I'm going with this. So if it's a case that, um, if it's a case that the fact, that if the facts are correct, yep. and it seems as if they are, oh, they we, are. Know the vac- we know the vaccines are working. We know they're working. So what mm. we need is, is is a higher rate of uh, people going to get vaccinated. Mm. And then hopefully we, we will, this will be pushed on now. But uh, I think NEFTA's are meeting on Monday. Yep. Um, I think they have to present to the government. So we'll see what happens from there. I'm very concerned, I'm concerned for the industry. Which, um, because we're pushed
2: on again and again and again. It, yeah, it, oh, absolutely. I think know. we're all concerned for the industry. We're all concerned for the country. Uh, and it's uh, one of the things that we've been discussing this morning because uh, some people are making very, very foolish, if not stupid decisions. There are people who can't get the vaccine, people uh, who are hesitant uh, for real reasons. Uh, but there are these uh, mad people who are going on the Internet and reading all this guff and putting us all at risk, not just of illness and death, but uh, of getting back to normal and being able to uh, have a, a livelihood and make a, a living, for that matter.
1: They're giving them they're um, a lot of business owners a hard time as well. I've, I've Are heard they? Just through the fine. I'm, I'm yeah. hearing they're giving business owners a hard time.
2: Right, sure, they're right out, no Yeah.
1: At the at the door of premises, from yeah. threatening all kinds of stuff happening. Yeah. So. Um, it is very unfortunate that that's happening in our society. I never thought it would come to that, but, but it's out there. You know? Yeah, well,
2: I think we should keep them out of the restaurants, keep them out of the churches, keep them out of the pubs, keep them out of uh, the libraries, keep them out of the shops uh, until they cop themselves on so that we can get back to living some sort of normality. And I can see from the texts that are coming into us that there's a, a few people uh, who disagree with that completely, as you'd expect, but there's an awful lot of people who believe that that's the case and they've had enough of them at this stage.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm i not sure where it's going to go from here Michael, we just need the government to make decisions this is where leadership needs to be um, at its pinnacle and at its peak and the guys should be doing a really good job for us because it's not fair to leave it on hospitality to be making these decisions in the first place as well.
2: Absolutely yeah. alright, uh, well you'll be watching what Neffet has to say on Monday as we all will but I'm sure you'll be watching it uh, closer than most of us Mark we'll leave it there for the moment and uh, hope uh, that uh, There's some good news in terms of these figures uh, that are just going through the roof. Over 2,000 cases and uh, so many people in ICU. It's the strain in ICU and uh, the winter season coming in and the flu and uh, the demand in ICU. That is a real concern at the moment, uh, which obviously uh, people aren't taking into account. But thank you for joining us as always. Mark McGowan is the president of the Restaurants Association of Ireland, speaking to us from Scholars, uh, where you could go and have a, a lovely time if you had... Uh, Your passport, your vaccine cert. All right, that's where we leave you for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next program tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye bye.
1: The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now, michael at lmfm.ie.